One of the most enduring images from the Greenfield disaster, if you remember, is a memorial wall there. And this memorial wall uh, is emblazoned with the letters, if you might recall, which says, pray for our community. The memorial wall itself is a mixture of prayers, wishes, and expression of anger by the community after the fire, you remember, left over 80 people dead. As we inspect the memorial wall, we find interesting messages there. One of, the, one of the messages there says, praying for you all. Another says, forever in our prayers. Someone has written there asking the question, why did this have to happen? In nearly every disaster, every national tragedy we've had, we see people asking for prayers and asking God to comfort the relatives and heal the injured. We see this all the time, not just here, but we, we see it in Paris, we see it everywhere, even 9-11. These actions reveal something important, don't they? They reveal that deep down our hearts, uh, we know that we need God to make it through life, especially when the chips are down. Every human being knows that. The problem is that we only want God to help us when we have a crisis. When everything is going well in our lives, God is not a priority in our lives. This is not just for those who do not know Jesus. This is sadly, especially for believers, actually, because they know they have something of the light. The truth of the matter is that the attitude of many followers of Jesus is exactly the same as that of the unbelieving world. He has been said one of the greatest sins in the church is not gossip, it's not addictions. It is a sin of prayerlessness, of leaving God alone. Another person says, if I want to humble anyone, any Christians, I just need to ask him or her about their prayers. The topic of prayer brings sorrowful self-confession. This is a serious problem, isn't it? Because our condition before God is always measured by our prayers. Spurgeon says, God has no mute children. Jesse Rao says, to be prayerless is to be without God, without Christ, without grace, and without heaven. It is to be on the road to hell. That's for the prayerless. What about those of us who pray, but pray very little? Are we better than those who don't pray at all? You might think we are, but Ian Bounds disagrees. Ian Bounds says little prayer is worse than complete lack of prayer. Because little prayer is a kind of make-believe, box-ticking exercise. People who pray, but pray very little, have no warm love for God. They open their mouth to him as an obligation. Their prayers are a farce, a delusion, says E.M. Bounds. E.M. Bounds goes on to say, the little estimate we put on prayer is clear from the little time we give to it. And I would add, it shows that we believe God is small. 
you can immediately see why there is a problem versus not praying at all. The people who don't pray at all have not been exposed to the light of the gospel at all. But the people who pray have seen the gospel and they have judged, who pray by very little, they have seen the gospel but judged it to be too little. They have looked at this God of glory and they have reduced him to size. And this is why the issue of prayer is very important to all of us. And this is why, as I've been thinking about prayer, I had planned to preach a different sermon today when I was planning in November, but the Lord has been working in my hand to convince me that this is the greatest problem we are facing as individuals and as a church here. If you profess faith in Christ and pray only a little bit, it raises a, a big question. Do you know Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Francis Chan says, prayer is the mark of a lover. Those who deeply love Jesus can't help but pray often to him. To love Jesus, says Chan, is to pray to him. And of course, if you do not love Jesus, then the most likely thing is that you do not know Jesus at all. So the link here is prayer, love for Jesus, and if you don't have the love of Jesus, then well, you do not know Jesus. So my task this evening is to encourage us, if we're truly converted here, to settle this issue of prayer agently with God. We need to settle it for ourselves, and we need to settle it for the sake of his church. Not the church global, but the church here. I want you as individuals to start praying seriously, and I want us as a church to take prayer seriously. And to help us do this, turn with me, as I said, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 25. Those few words, there are four words Paul gives us there. He says, brothers, pray for us. It's a request Paul is making. It's a command as well. Brothers, pray for us. What can we learn here from those four words of Paul? I think there are three lessons we can learn from what Paul says here. The first lesson is that we need prayer. Paul needed prayer. We need it as well. That's the first point. We need prayer in our lives. A story is told of a five-year-old boy, Daniel. Daniel and his family are having a Christmas dinner at their grandmother's house. Everyone is seated around the table as the food is being served around the Christmas table. And as soon as little Daniel receives his plate, uh, he starts eating right away. I guess he's hungry. So the mom says to him, she finds this quite embarrassing, she says, Dan, wait until we say our prayer. You know, don't do that. So little Daniel says to his mom, I don't need to pray. Huh? What's going on? The mom is shocked, right? You don't need to pray. Of course you do. We always say a prayer before we're eating at our house. Then little Daniel replies, yeah, that's at our house. But this is grandma's house and she knows how to cook. <laughs> well, you know, little Daniel, little Daniel. I wonder whether he finished his Christmas meal. Uh, you know, many of us who attend church are sadly like Daniel. We see prayer as something 
we don't need to do all the time. We just need to do it when it needs most. We feel we can do without prayer. But this attitude of Daniel, this attitude that people have, is anti-God. One of the reasons Paul wrote the letter to the church at Thessalonica is to remind them that they need to keep praying. In fact, verse 17 of chapter 5, he commands them, prayer without ceasing. Now, the way Paul goes about trying to encourage them to pray is quite interesting. Uh, he starts off the letter by telling them that he's always praying for them. If you flick over to chapter 1, you see that for yourself. Chapter 1, verse 2 says, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Amazing. Later on, he says he misses them so much that he's always praying to God every... He's always praying to God every night. And then he breaks into prayer. Turn to chapter 3. First Thessalonians chapter 3. Uh, verse 9 to verse 13 says this. For what thanksgiving... This is, is one of the most amazing passages in all of the Bible. And you could see Paul perhaps writing this with tears. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? I mean, have you ever asked? Have you ever... There's such much love he has for them. He says... For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we might see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. And then he goes on to pray, doesn't he? Now may the God of our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. And as if that prayer is not enough, he picks it up again in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, which we just read, verse 23 to 24, if you flick to the passage we are looking at. He says this, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. We cannot miss the fact that Paul believes the Thessalonians need his prayers. He believes they need his prayers. That's why he's been praying for them. We get that. They're new Christians. They're struggling. You see all of that from chapter 1. They're new believers. They need his prayers. But to our surprise, Paul does not stop there. As he comes to the end of his letter, in verse 25 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse we're looking at, he says to them, Brothers, pray for us. Brothers, pray for us. Do you notice something there? Notice that Paul doesn't say what he wants prayer for. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say. He just says, pray for us. And the reason is he doesn't mention details is because his request is more of a helpless request. He's saying, I am helpless. I need God in everything. We need your prayers. Brothers, please pray for us. This is vintage Apostle Paul, and we see it in all of his letters. In fact, we see it in Ephesians chapter 6, 
verse 18 to 19. You remember that where he says this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18 to 19? Praying at all times in the spirit with all supplication and uh, prayer and supplication to that and keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And then he adds in verse 19, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Paul needs the Ephesians prayers, just as he needs the prayers of the Thessalonians. Paul knows every follower of Jesus needs prayer. Why do you need to be a praying person in your life? Why does every Christian need prayer? We need prayer because prayer is the means God has ordained to hear from you and respond to your daily needs. As Thomas Watson says, prayer is the key of heaven. Faith is the hand that turns it. If you abandon prayer, your spiritual life will decay. No follower of Jesus is greater than their prayer life. My favorite preacher, Robert Murray McShane, says this, What a man is on his knees before God, that he is, and nothing more. Do you hear that? What a man is on his knees, that he is, nothing more. You see, when God wants to grow us spiritually, what does he do first? He gives us a passion and a thirst to pray. God can do whatever he likes. The Bible tells us that in Isaiah. He does whatever he likes. But God has also made it clear he does nothing without prayer. It is the means he has ordained to work in our world. Prayer is the means he has ordained to change your life. So you need to pray because it's the way it is through prayer that you grow into more Christ-likeness. The other reason you need to be praying is that your life is a battlefield. You have, as you sit here this evening, you have very powerful enemies after you. Satan, the world, and the flesh. Satan is working every day to destroy your marriage, your children, your work. If you're a believer, you are at war with Satan and his dark forces. As you sit here now, Satan is already planning for your 2020. To bring you down in that area you feel most confident about. It is sadly many of us live the Christian life with a peacetime mentality rather than a war mentality. We are not walking around as the people at war, are we? Many of us walk around like it's all peaceful around our lives. That's the reason we do not pray regularly. Your little praying is a sin that disobeys God's command to pray. But it is not only a sin, it is spiritual suicide. You are spiritually self-harming if you are praying very little. By not praying as you should, you are not drawing on the resource God has given you to fight against our enemies. By this change of praying, it's not drawing on the resources God has given it to fight for God. Why are we so careless 
in this area. Well, the reason you do not pray is because you do not realize that Satan is constantly, as I said, attacking your marriage, even as we speak. You do not pray because you do not realize that the world system is working powerfully to ensure that your place of work turns you against God. You do not pray because you do not realize that your children carry within them the flesh that is leading them to make anti-God decisions all the time. And can I just say, it is a sacrilege of duty, especially for parents, if we are not constantly prayerful. Because our lack of prayer is endangering our families and it's endangering our children. You see, you pray very little because you are self-reliant. Only a needy heart can pray without ceasing. Helplessness is the heartbeat of prayer. We need to be feel a sense of helplessness before we can begin to pray. Oh, you are all, I look around here, you are all perhaps very well resourced. You are not worrying about food. You are not worrying about many things in your life. And you probably feel quite contented. The, the, those, is the, those are blessings from God. But they carry within them the danger of not being able to feel helpless enough to cry out to God to rearrange your lives for him. How do we cultivate helplessness? Well, by meditating daily on the good news of Jesus. Nothing reminds us how much we need God than the gospel. You must remind yourself that you are still a wretched sinner saved by the cross of Christ alone, that you need his grace just to make it through the night. Just to make it through the night, you need him. I know you think you wake up tomorrow. But you need his grace to see tomorrow. I know you think your job will be there for you tomorrow. But you need his grace to, for that job to be there. So ask God to give you a deep hunger to hear the gospel. And let it remind you how much you need this powerful means of grace, of prayer. That's the first point we learn here, isn't it? We... The first point here is that we need prayer. The second point, quickly, we learn from this passage is that we must ask the church to pray for us. Or we must ask others, other believers around us in this fellowship, to pray for us. What is amazing here is not simply that Paul needs prayer, but that he asks for prayer. I think when you look at the word of God, I hope you are like amazed, like, wow! Why does the great Apostle Paul, who has planted church after church, does miracles after miracles, why does he need the Thessalonians to pray for him? Has God stopped listening to his prayers? Has he? No, Paul is requesting prayer. Why? Because he is humble. Read verse 25 again. Listen to what he says. Brothers, pray for us. Paul is saying to these guys, I know that if you pray for us, God will answer your prayers. Why else did he ask for it? Because he knows their prayers as power. And Paul, by him admitting that in his prayer from them, he's saying, my prayers are no greater than yours. Brothers, we are brothers. And if you ask our father, our daddy, so to speak, he will hear your prayers for me. And this tells us one cardinal thing about prayer requests. You know, when you say to other people, 
My sister, my brother, I need your prayers. You are humbling yourself before God. Listen very carefully. The reason we struggle to ask other people to pray for the real issues we are battling with in our life is that we are full of pride. Pride is what's stopping you from asking for genuine prayer requests that you need God to intervene in. You do not want to ask prayers for freedom from lust because you would have to then admit that your marriage is on life support. It's going to take a lot of humility for a man who's married to admit that he's struggling perhaps with pornography or some other lust. Because by admitting that to another brother in the church and genuinely ask for prayer, they are also admitting that they have not been looking after their home very well. In fact, they are committing adultery at present. That's what stops us from asking genuine prayer requests. You don't want to tell people that you struggle with a particular health issue because you worry that some health problems we have, if you mention them to someone, they immediately put you in a category box. That's certainly the case with some of the mental health issues. And so we feel our pride stops us from being honest about that and asking them to pray specifically for us. You do not want other people to know you have real doubts about God sometimes because you think they'll start doubting your conversion. (laughs) If you go to a brother and say, look, I'm really doubting that I'm converted, you think that they'll then say, okay, you're not, right? And you have doubts about that because perhaps the church sees you as a pillar of some sort. You know you need prayers for, you need the prayers of others but your pride is keeping you from asking for it. And you feel ashamed to ask for prayer. So you know what happened? You just carry on praying by yourself. Listen to me very carefully. I've really been thinking about this issue. That's the problem. And maybe you have not thought about this at all. But if there are big issues in your life which you are not sharing with others in the life of the church, you're not sharing them because you are prideful. First. The problem with that is, if you then decide to just pray by yourself to God, God will oppose you. God is not very likely to answer prayers of the proud. How do I know that? How do I know that? Anyone? Because the Bible says so, that's why. 1 Peter 5, verse 5. Close yourself, all of you, with humility. Listen to this, towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is not the grace that serves you. This is the grace you need in your Christian life. He gives the grace, that grace to those who are growing in humility. I believe one reason why God does not immediately answer our prayers is that he wants to humble us. He wants to take the mask of perfection off. You know, coming to church, sadly, is like going to an Halloween party. I haven't been to one, but I've seen it, right? <laughs> Just making sure, bro, right? I haven't been to one. So, but it is like going to an Halloween party. Why? Because everyone comes to church wearing a costume. And they wear this costume of perfection. 
They must come in there, look in the pot, and, you know, and ensure that everything is okay in my world. That's how people come to church. They hide behind their true self. And we see this even in the prayer requests people give. We come to a prayer meeting. What do you want prayers for? First of all, no one is suggesting anything. Okay? Right. The, the costume is still on. You ask them, um, anything else? Oh, let's pray for Jeremy Corbyn. We need Jeremy Corbyn's conversion. The gender issues. And then, if you can get them close to think about issues in their lives, perhaps they'll say, let's pray for families in the church, that they'll be strengthened. You see, they never get to the core of the issues. Why? Because pride keeps the mask on. And God knows that. And because God loves you, he won't allow you to go on like that. So what does he do? He opposes you because of your pride. And he doesn't give you an immediate answer to your prayer until you go and ask somebody else honestly to pray for your issue. And then God intervenes. Because through that process, God has dealt with your pride. Beloved, if we're going to grow in prayerfulness, we must ask God to humble us. Perhaps the most dangerous prayer we can ever ask for God to humble us. Because God could use anything. Your marriage could fall apart. You could use your job. How else does God humble people? He empties them out. And that's a prayer we really don't really want to pray. God make me humble. <laughs> no one wants to pray that. In all honesty, it's a dangerous prayer. Because it's one God answers. So can I suggest an alternative? To, you should pray for God to humble you, but can I suggest how you, we grow in humbleness? How can we become people that are eager to share our true and personal prayer requests with each other? I think, again, it comes back to the gospel. We must meditate on the good news of Jesus. Because in Jesus we see God humbling himself, isn't it? Philippians 2, verse 5 to 7 says this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. This is Christmas, isn't it? But made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And, of course, he went and died on the cross for us. Paul is saying, look, we cannot look at what Jesus has done and still hold on to our pride. We belong to God because God has humbled himself by putting on the rags of human flesh and dying the shameful death for us on the cross. We have the Lord's table in front of us this evening because God humbled himself. When you look at these elements, be reminded of a God who has remarkably humility. And as believers coming to the table... Well, we need to humbly lay our lives for him as well. And what I'm, saying, what I'm telling you this evening is that you need humbleness for the sake of your prayers. If your prayers are to be answered, we must ask others to pray for us. And we must do so humbly, honestly. To, pen, to be costly to us, but it's important. And we can only do that by looking at Christ. Because as we get close to Jesus, we become honest about places where we need God to work, and we start admitting our need for prayer to others. I wonder, where in your life, as you sit here this evening, are you wearing the mask of perfection? Why are you trying to convince me and other people that your life is all made up? 
It's all well. There's nothing wrong with it. Why are you not willing to turn to the brother or sister next to you and say, I am struggling here. Please pray for me for this specific thing. Beloved, I plead with you, if you keep hiding behind the mask, it is pride. And God will continue to oppose your pride. And you continue to struggle and find no answers to the desperate prayers that you are seeking. You must open up to others in this fellowship for you to experience a breakthrough in your prayers. I sounded Pentecostal for a minute, didn't I? But the breakthrough is prayers, right? And you also need God, can I just say, you also need God to help you become that someone that people in the church will feel confident to share their struggles with. It's a two-way thing, isn't it? You need to be able to share honesty. That's your side, humbleness. But there's another thing you can do for other people that need that. Beloved, is it not shameful that many of us in this fellowship are regarded as not trustworthy enough by our fellow brothers and sisters? That's why they don't feel like they can share their deepest struggles with us. I've had somebody come to me and say to me, Pastor, I know you're asking me for, to ask people to pray for me, but they're not going to pray for me. They're not going to pray for me. I know they won't. But they won't even be receptive to pray for me. I said, why? Because He says, because they have not even opened up their home to me. How can I depend on them to pray for me when they won't even invite me over? This is a true story. You see, pride keeps us from requesting prayers. And it is also true that our lack of love and proven trust stops others coming to us. I'm aware of that issue, and I know some of you immediately say, I would love to share, but I'm not sure. And that's on us. That's because we have not proved to be people that are trustworthy enough before God to hold such requests confidentially sometimes, but hold them with the eagerness to pray. Beloved, if you rarely attend prayer meetings at 9.15 a.m. on Sunday morning, is anyone really going to open up to share prayer requests items with you? I wouldn't, because I know that you don't take prayer seriously. Right? When you only talk to a select few people in the church and do not even greet visitors in the church, Will regulars share their issues with you? Of course not. To help others open up to us with prayers, they need to enter our lives. They need to enter our homes. So yes, pride keeps us, but we have a responsibility for us to, to be people that are willing to encourage others to bring those prayer requests to us. Paul is encouraged us to not only take off the mask of perfection, but to ask others to pray for us, right? and ask others to pray for us, but he's also challenging us for us to be people who will pray, who will encourage others to take off the mask. He evidently thought that the Thessalonians will pray when he shared the request. He knew they loved him that much. Do you, do, do other people think you love them that much in the fellowship that they would eagerly come to you to pray for them? Point number one, we need prayer. Point number two, we must ask the church to pray for us and quickly uh, quickly 
We must pray because prayer works. Why should we pray? Because prayer works. Prayer definitely works. You know, imagine David Cameron asks you to speak to the Queen for him. That's what's going on here, right? David Cameron, right, asking the Queen, asking you to talk to the Queen on his behalf. Or Boris Johnson asking you to talk to the Queen on his behalf. That seems odd, doesn't it? It is it's Boris. Why does he need me to talk to the Queen for him? I should be asking him to talk to me for the Queen. Well, this is what's going on here. This is, you know, Apostle Paul. The Boris, so to speak, spiritual Boris, right? He's asking the Thessalonians to talk to God for him. And I've said the reason Paul is asking that is because he's humble, right? But also because he understands we are family. He understands that God listens to his children. Let's go back to that verse. Brothers, pray for us. Don't miss that. Brothers, family. The word brothers, as I said, communicates family. Paul knows as long as you are a child of God, you have immediate access to your father has a priest before him. He has made us a kingdom of priests. You don't need to go to the priest to confess your sins or anything else like that. You don't need the pastor to pray for you. At one level, yes. Yeah. Thinking of point one. But you don't need anyone. You have immediate access to God. You have immediate access. You have as much access before God as I have, as the next person to you has. So go before God directly. You need to let that sink in. God hears the prayer of a new or struggling believer because the blood of Jesus has granted access to God. That's why Paul is able to request the Thessalonians to pray. Paul has already made this point that to the church at Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18, he says this, For through him we have access in one spirit to the Father. You know, sometimes we look at our lives and think, I can't pray for that person, that person's problem, because the problems are too big. I mean, for God to hear me. Sometimes I look at the suffering of Christians around the world, I'm thinking, where am I to even think I can bow my knees before God and God will answer my prayer? Why should he listen to me? Sometimes we can feel like that. We can feel our problems in our life are just too big, or the problems people share with us are just too big to change. We are looking at the state of this nation and the chaos and the immorality, and we're thinking, no, some of us are bowing our knees, but we are coming before God with no hope whatsoever that God will hear us. We don't believe God will hear us. But Paul says God will, God desires to hear his children. He can't turn this nation around. He can't revive us as a church. He can save those people we are crying out to serve, that God should serve them, our children, our, our relatives. He can do that. You know, Paul believes God answers the prayer of new and struggling Christians. You know, Paul believes James 5, verse 16. I think Paul was writing that out. If he was sort of living today, he would have had James 5, verse 16 on the wall somewhere. He says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Paul knows that because you are righteous through the blood of Christ, God can answer your prayer for me. God can answer your prayer for, your, for, for the person next to you. God can answer your prayer for anything. Even if you are struggling in your walk, 
If you're trusting in Jesus, your Lord and Savior, Christ has paid the penalty for your sin, and now God is your Father. He will hear your prayers. So yes, there's an issue of pride, but you don't need to fix yourself up before you come to God. The death of Jesus on the cross has already fixed you up. You have full access to God. So get praying, Paul is saying. Jesus has already done it for you on the cross, so go to God now. Open your heart. Tell him your deepest needs, and he will hear you. And how should you go to God? Well, we have seen this evening, haven't we? You must go to God, first of all, helpless. That was the first point. We need prayer. Be helpless. Pray for helplessness. Meditate on the gospel. Let it make you grow in helplessness. Point number two, you must go to God humble. That's what we learned under point number two. We must ask the church to pray for us. We cannot grow in prayer if we are not humble. The word to God is open for you, yes, in Christ, but it's especially open for those who are growing in humility. So humble yourself by asking the brother or sister sat next to you to pray for you. And finally, you must go to God confidently. We've just seen that. We must pray because prayer works. The blood of Jesus has made you his child. You are now a priest before God. So you can pray because prayer works. Well, may God enable all of us to grow deeper in praying, in requesting prayer from one another and in seeing God answer our prayer.